Corey Foreman. Y'all don't know that name. I suggest you learn it because that man is back on the market. He decommitted from Clemson. He's back on the market. Welcome back to the Scoreboard Podcast. I am your host, Reagan Griffin, joined as always by Mr. Eddie Sun and Mr. Michael Fumafredo. I don't want to do too much with the with the formalities, y'all. Let's jump right into this. Corey Foreman's back on the market. 2021's arguably number one prospect is out there for the taking. Yeah, I think that's huge. US, you talk about USC that's already, I think, in the top five of 2021 recruiting classes. Yep. And number five. you get a SoCal guy back on the board, five-star recruit, arguably number one in the nation. That's big. And he wants to come to USC is what I'm hearing. He wants to stay close to home. His other suitors are LSU, Alabama. They don't They're really fit that model. Yeah. So USC could have a top prospect in there locker room once again that's the biggest he has uh he has connections to usc right like he's friends with gary bryan mm-hmm. um he's I mean, been working out with Jackson a lot too yeah um, that's right but but the thing is right like you mentioned michael I, I heard that the two biggest uh influences in his decision was that a clemson would not allow him to talk to other schools because he had already committed and he didn't like that at all he had a, a personal beef with that and then also like you said the distance away from home uh, he wasn't, you know, a fan of going all the way from the West Coast all the way back to the East Coast in, in uh, South Carolina, um, which doesn't bode well for a school like LSU and Alabama because th- there's not too many times that USC has a leg up on one of those two. But in this particular instance, here it is, right? Of course. And we talked about last episode how USC has been trying to bring all their Southern California, California, West Coast kids back to USC and like the helm of football in the Pac-12 and losing guys to Clemson, Alabama hasn't been really great for the organization. But now think about it. It's the 2021 class. So it's still a year away. Mm -hmm. And to not have a player talk to other schools during that time after committing, it's still a really long time. So I think that had a lot of influence in it as well. I got to say, I mean, looking at this, it's going to look like uh, USC's competing, competing, Primarily against you know the UCLA's, the Oregon's, uh, the other California schools for this guy. Maybe Arizona, Arizona State in there. The Pac-12, right? Uh, uh, the primary focus of this staff since they've come in has been we're going to take back the West. If nothing else, we are going to win the West. And you know I mentioned this on Twitter today. If the guy wants to stay home and he wants to stay in the West, this is your opportunity. They've already been proving it, and you know walking the walk as well as talking the talk thus far. But this is your real opportunity of your USC's new staff to say, hey, we are out here to, to win this. When we say we're winning the West, we're not playing around here. And if you go grab this guy away from Clemson, that that would be you know enough in my mind to solidify, okay, these guys really mean business. When you really think about it too, players tend to follow one another. Do you think this could start a trend of – Maybe a lot of the other players decommitting as well and coming back to the West Coast or future prospects staying at USC. Uh, see, it, it's it's I wouldn't say a trend where you see a wave of people decommitting, but it's not too far fetched to think that, you know, one or two more guys might consider the possibility of it. Um, especially, like you said, the, the, these guys tend to come in waves and USC throughout this past uh, week and two weeks really has just been seeing waves and waves. It seems like, you know, every three days there's another top recruit that's signing with USC, another three, four star that's signing on. Um, and and the, these guys, you can tell that they're really having, 
you know, not just commitment to the school, but commitment to each other. They're interacting with each other on Twitter. They're interacting with the coaches. They're interacting with some of the USC media outlets, uh, USC school being one of them. You know, they, they really have a commitment to being part of this culture here. And I think that's appealing to a lot of people, um, potentially uh, Corey Foreman. Yeah. And two other things I just wanted to mention before we move into some of our other topics like the NFL draft coming up this week. First off is I'm hearing a lot of stories of how Dante Williams and some of the new guys on the coaching staff have actually taken to video games like Madden and talking to these recruits playing with them. Really? And I feel like that's been a big influence. Wow. That's them. actually great. That, that's exactly. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. That's like, that's like such a, how do you do fellow kids moment? <laughs> well, it depends, you know man. I mean? Like, you know, maybe they're good at it. You know, you'd be surprised if you have a high level of football IQ, you can be pretty good at Madden. Like Dante Williams being a former corner, if you can read coverages, you can kill somebody in Madden. If you, if you know what coverage they're about to be and you know where the uh, holes in the defense are, I, I can see, you know, it's like, hey, man, if I yeah. beat you in this Madden game, you got to you gotta commit right now <laughs> on the spot. Something like that. Yeah. But uh, that's funny, man. I didn't know that. Yeah, but the one other thing is that I'm noticing, I'm looking at 24-7 sports right now. Currently for the 2021 class, USC is ranked number five with – only four stars, no five stars yes, committed. So Corey Foreman will definitely put them over the edge, maybe even the top class in two years. Right. So I, I won't put all my eggs into that basket yet. It's not a done deal. We know how these things go. I mean, he was 100% Clemson less than a day ago, right? So there's no exactly. way to really um, know whether or not he's going to commit to USC, but it does seem to lean in that direction, right? So Time will tell on that. It's going to be de- definitely something that we follow, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but like you said, let's get into some of the stuff that's coming up because just two days from now, it's Tuesday the 21st, two days from now, we're going to be you know in the heat of the NFL draft first round. And USC has two pro- prospects, really, um, that have a shot at being drafted this year, among some other guys. But really, when we think about USC in the draft this season, we're thinking about Michael Pittman and Austin Jackson. Yeah, two great guys on and off the field. Definitely would love to be locker room guys. And going back to Pittman, not really the top receiver in this class. Definitely one of them. It's just been a loaded class. But Sports Illustrated actually chose him as the cover athlete for one of their most recent issues. And Eddie, I know you wanted to speak a little bit about that. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because Pittman's not like a top prospect in the draft. I don't really think he's the most eye-catching prospect either, but I think it speaks to like a reputation. Well, that he is Pittman pretty good at catching. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hand, <laughs> hands <laughs> catching, not eye-catching. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but my point was it was interesting that they had him as the cover of the issue. And uh, if you look, if you look at the picture, just the front cover, it's really, it's really popping. It's like a zoom in of his face with the face mask on. And they have the words like uh, the draft of COVID-19. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. A really well-written article, but it's all about um, Pittman training or you can call it simulated training. He's running routes, doing cone drills with uh, former NFL wide receiver TJ Hashmanuze, however you pronounced it. Um, got it. Yeah, but like, he's like doing all those drills, but without a football. So he's not actually catching anything, but he's just simulating it. Um, it's a really fascinating story. And then um, the, the article also talks about how because teams won't have a chance to do their normal preview and their normal scouting stuff before the draft, they're going to re- rely a lot more on reputation. And Michael Pittman having a father who has connections to these front offices, having a father who played in the NFL, 
um, definitely help boost his profile and it probably will help his draft standing as well. Mm. And I remember mentioning that a couple episodes back and that, you know, without having the opportunity to get these guys in your building and really interact with them and see who they are as a person, you can only go off what other people are telling you and what you know these guys to be. Michael Pittman was what the Pop Warner player, the college football player of the year um, for his service, both on and off the field. One of the, um, the, the more academically sound players on USC's football team in the past years, like uh, he's definitely solidified his spot as one of the the more well-rounded players in all college football not just from a talent standpoint but from a personality standpoint the dude um really conducts himself in in a um in a manner that's uh appealing to a lot of these people who want strong locker room guys in their uh in their organization so I, i agree with you i think it definitely could play a lot into seeing you know him jumping some of these other guys that they might have questions about yeah and definitely back qualities is off the field and locker room abilities to be on a team think about what he did this past year he forgot the nfl draft last season to come back for a senior year they're coming off a pretty decent year not not making a bowl game but now you spring in a three-star freshman quarterback mm-hmm. and you need a guy that's going to lead the locker room to a nine and three season i believe it was a ten and three season that speaks a lot of volume. No doubt. No. Yeah, definitely all of the intangibles pop off here in the scouting report. And that's, I mean, obviously that's something that these scouts didn't need to see, you know, pro days or didn't need to, you know, see like on-field footage of. It definitely bodes well for Pittman. And um, I think the article also alluded to that, like how graceful he is, I think, in front of, the media, which also helps him, you know, I think he's definitely a very well-spoken guy. Um, someone like who, who's easy for publicity, I guess. So it definitely won't harm him in that way. Well, let's not make this the Michael Pittman show because all, as high of a character he has, the other guy, Austin Jackson, equally as high, I, I think. And we, we talk about a guy who really put his own draft stock at stake when he he allowed himself to have a bone marrow transplant for his younger sister, um, you know, really saving her from a lot of potential health risks. But in doing so, you know, it weakened him for a lot of the season. He said there was a period of time where he couldn't even, you know, squat anything on his back. Um, and, and he was a weaker player throughout the course of the season. We saw AJ uh, Spenza, uh, another highly touted recruit out of Iowa, really go at him during the bowl game. But we weren't seeing the best of Austin Jackson throughout this entire year. This was kind of an 80, 90 percent Austin Jackson. This wasn't his full caliber of play because he was having gone through that traumatic experience with his body in the bone marrow transplant. But the fact that he was willing to do that for his little sister, um, knowing everything that was at risk for him personally, I I think that's extremely admirable on his standpoint. So these are two really high character guys that SC has going into the draft this year. So that's going to help both of them. And when you really look at it, Looking at this draft class, both are stacked at the wide receiver position and the offensive line position. Pittman's more of a second round, early second round guy, but Austin Jackson's the guy to look out for on day one. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No so doubt about it. Where you guys think they're going to end up being drafted? <clears throat> that, so I could see Austin Jackson actually going mid to late first round. I have him 24th to New Orleans in a mock draft, but. He's definitely a guy with prototypical size, knows how to play. I think New Orleans would be a good fit for him just because he wouldn't have to step in and take on a huge role at tackle right away. Mm-hmm. Maybe learn the NFL game, get his feet wet a little bit. 
but you know, he's a quick guy for his size, definitely has some strength to him as well. And he could be a difference maker for a team. When I think about some of these uh, tackle needy teams in the late, like you said, I think he's a late first round prospect. I think about, you know, the 49ers. Uh, I think about the Seahawks. I think about possibly the Browns if they trade back. I think those are three teams that could definitely use a guy like Austin Jackson, primarily the Seahawks, right? Because they, they've been a team that struggle at the offensive line position basically every year. They've left Russell Wilson out there basically hanging out to dry and said, you know, you you have you can work your magic. We don't it doesn't matter. We could put, you know, Reagan, Eddie, and Michael on our offensive line. You'll be able to make that work. Um but I, I the, you can't keep doing that forever. And that's gonna that's not gonna be sustainable if you're Russell Wilson um or the Seattle Seahawks. So I, I think definitely Austin Jackson, you know, uh, I think he's definitely a candidate to go there. Um just from the standpoint of they need offensive line help literally anywhere. Whether whether you have him playing left tackle, right tackle, I don't see him having to move to guard. That, that's not really where his skill set aligns to, but definitely Seattle I think could use a guy like him. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. There's, teams can never have enough um, players in the trenches. I think ultimately there's going to be a team that needs to fill a need, and Austin Jackson is going to fill it. All right, so now basically it's all open for Pittman in that second round then. Yeah, no doubt. goes. Um, and like, like, you, like you alluded to, Michael, that it's a really wide receiver stack draft, so it's really a crapshoot in terms of where he's going to go. Any team, you know, could get sold on his character because we've seen in years past teams who really didn't even necessarily need a wide receiver go ahead and take a shot on a wide receiver just because they really like the guy. A la the uh, Atlanta Falcons when they went and got Calvin Ridley, knowing full well that they had a Muhammad Sanu and Julio Jones at the time. He's turned out to be a great player. And he's turned out to be a great player for him, right? So it's all gonna, it's going to align to who really likes Michael Pittman and. Like we mentioned before, there's a lot to like about Michael Pittman. Um, besides the, you know, underrated uh, agility, I, I think the underrated speed, which he showed uh, in his four five forty, um, the great hands, the strength, um, the ability to hand fight off of the line, you got all these intangibles that you know are are going to be, you know, teams are going to be looking for those things in an NFL pro ready receiver like Michael Pittman. I, I can see the Packers. I can see. The uh the Eagles should he slip into the late second round, which I doubt he will. Um, I can see the, I can see the Raiders. I can see you know there's a really a lot of teams out there you know that that could use a guy like Pippen. There's I'd say there's less teams that would not draft him than there are teams that would. If that made sense, I'm not sure it did. I understand that, yeah, but I definitely think where he ends up is a product of how the top of the first round goes. Is it? all the teams that need an offensive lineman take an offensive lineman and those teams like the Raiders, the Jaguars, the team I wanted to end up on the jets. So I'm a fan of, they, they all go wide receiver in round one and aren't looking to pick up another one in round two or do the offensive lineman start to slip and those teams take a guy like Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs early and then need to fill a hole at wide receiver. I can see that happening for the New York Jets where Pittman ends up getting reunited with Sam Darnold. Wouldn't that be fun? would be great because they need help at the wide receiver position. He'd be a great guy to fill in at that number one position, really turn the locker room around. I think his skill set would fit really well there. I mean, we think about guys like – I've been hearing that uh, 
Kyler Murray has just been clamoring to the Arizona organization. Hey, I know you guys just went out and traded for DeAndre Hopkins, but CD's my guy. If you have an opportunity to take him, please go get him. You better bet you're behind that Sam Darnold's doing the exact same thing to the Jets right now. As much as, you know, as big of a help that having Michael Pittman was to him in throughout his years at USC, you better believe he's telling those that GM, Joe Douglas, hey, man, you go get Pittman. You have the opportunity to go get Pittman. Please get him. But with that said, you know, the Jets definitely offensive line might be first and foremost with them. And it could be interesting, you know, depending on what we see for the Jets in their initial pick at, at 11, I think it is. If they go yeah, offensive man. line there, it could align. The stars could align for them to go get Pittman. But if they get a receiver there, the stars could really align for them to go get Austin Jackson. So I think that's a key uh, team to look for for both teams because they, they don't have either an offensive line or a wide receiver. They're really leaving Sam Donald out there to drive. I see it this way. The Jets picked up three offensive linemen in free agency that are going to start right away. They're not really long-term options, but they definitely could go with C.D. Lamb if he's there, Jerry Judy, or Henry Ruggs in the first round. And two years ago when they drafted Jamal Adams, they drafted another safety in Marcus May in the second round. So, I mean, do you want to have Jamison Crowder as your number two receiver or Michael Pittman and Jerry Judy? I'll defer to you as the, as the Jets fan, right? Um because I, I know it was a Jamison Crowder. You have Quincy and Nunwa, who's what always hurt. Is he? He's never yeah. not hurt. Um, and then you, you lost, lost Robbie Anderson, Anderson so you're really hurting there. So uh, Carolina as well. Probably, probably wide receiver makes more sense in the first round, but at, you still got to protect Donald too. As much as it's great to have a good guy to throw to, you need time to do it, right? So yeah, for sure. Can I just go back right, to Corey so Foreman for a two second? Days away. Who do you guys? Any hot takes that you guys have? Hot takes, hot takes. Hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure I can pull one out of my rear end real quick. I'll start one off if you guys need me to. I have Jordan Love being picked up at pick number twenty-three. It belongs to the Patriots. Hmm. But New England trades with Green Bay. Green and Bay they wants Jordan Love? Love. Really? I think. He's a very developmental product out of Utah State. I can see New Orleans maybe showing interest in him. But definitely if Green Bay is looking to find their next quarterback of the future, maybe Aaron Rodgers 2.0, sit him a few years like they did with Rodgers and Favre. See, the problem that I have with that, right, and it's not that, you know, because it makes sense on paper. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to last forever. He's on the wrong side of 30. Um his plays slowed down a little bit last year. It makes sense to go get the guy that's ultimately going to replace him. But from what we know about Aaron Rodgers, right? He's not the, he doesn't seem like he's going to be the guy that's willing to see his replacement when he walks into the quarterback room every day. Like we saw a play out with Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo. There was ultimately a major beef there because he had uh, Jimmy Garoppolo there sniffing down his neck. Eventually, He's like, you know what? You're going to have to make a decision, Robert Kraft. It's either going to be me or it's going to be Garoppolo, but one of us has to go. And they ended up sending Garoppolo out of there. I think the same thing would play out if you brought in Aaron Rodgers' eventual replacement. I, Aaron Rodgers just does not seem like the type of dude that would be willing to play knowing that the, the replacement's being groomed. And, then, and neither was Brett Favre, right? Neither Brett Favre came in and when Aaron Rodgers came in, uh, he wasn't the mentor that you know they would have liked him to be. And he ended up, you know, leaving the ship because he, he didn't, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't really mesh well because he knew that was ultimately going to be the guy to replace him. 
Um, yeah, th- those quarterbacks, a lot of times, even like Joe Flacco, <laughs> Joe Flacco didn't even like seeing Joe Flacco's not even that good. He didn't even like seeing the guy who was going to replace him. Quarterbacks just don't like feeling like their time is running out. They, they want to go out on their own terms. They tend to be a little bit more ego driven than some of these other football players. So my only concern with that would be, would Aaron Rodgers be okay with it? Was well, Aaron Rodgers making the pick or is it the Packers front office? I don't even know at this point, honestly. <laughs> it could it could be either, man. Like, I, if you ask me who holds more weight in that organization, Aaron Rodgers or uh, the head coach, I mean, we saw what happened yeah. to McCarthy. So there's really no telling. Um, let's see, a hot take for y'all. Uh, I have my hot takes really don't align with like who's going where. More so, how I view the prospects. Um, Denzel Mims, man. When I think about this receiver class, I think uh, CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy are the obviously the clear-cut best. After that, I have Denzel Mims. I think Denzel Mims is... Really? Yeah. Denz, he, and I love me some Henry Ruggs, too. I think he has Tyreek Hill as potential, but Denzel Mims has Julio Jones as potential to me. And that's a lot to say because Julio Jones is one of the best receivers talent-wise to ever grace the game. But Denzel, his just his catch radius, his hands, and I, I know teams had issues with him having drops his junior season. Apparently, he played the entire season with a broken hand, which would attribute to the drops. People don't like his route running ability, but he's really a functional route runner because he's not the quick guy like Jerry Judy that's going to break you down. But he's so big, and he knows how to use that size in terms of leveraging defensive backs off of him, and he doesn't need all that much space to make a catch, similar to Michael Pittman. You just have to get the ball within his catch radius, and nine times out of ten, he's coming down with it. Uh, the dude's mastered the art of the fade route. You can hit him on, on – uh, you can make him go over the DB. He can back shoulder it. Um, and he just has the, the the strength about him. He's so aggressive at the line with his hands. He has all of the traits that you want to see in a number one receiver. And that's where I get concerned with a guy like Ruggs and a guy like Jefferson. I see them as being very, very good receivers, but if they're the best receiver on your team, your receiving core is not that good. I think Denzel Mims has the potential to be the best receiver on a quality receiving core, uh, which is why I have him in my top three wide receiver in the rankings. I'm a I, I was kind of teetering with it because it, it's a really it's it's a stretch to put him wow. above other guys, but it, I I really really like his game. Yeah, I'll I'll throw it out here. Um, I feel like you know going back and watching the draft year after year, I, there's always a couple things that I feel like teams always like to overreact to, and that's the uh the the character part, and then you know the whole injuries part, mm-hmm. and it's that seemingly every year there's a player, whether due to some sort of like character issue or injury, that drops farther than they should drop. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, that should only magnify this year when you have teams that don't even get to perform physicals on players right. or, you know, like get to see them in person. And that makes me think about Tua Tagovailoa, right? Because the physical issues there and the teams that don't have a good look at him will probably end up being a little bit more wary of drafting him. So I think there's a very good possibility that people aren't really discussing that he could drop lower than five or six where people have him getting snagged. I mean, the the mock drafts wouldn't suggest it, but there's been a little bit of buzz around two of possibly, you know, there's some teams that have even taken them off their board completely because of the, like you mentioned, the uncertainty there. You you can't bring him in and physically examine him yourself. Um, And like you mentioned, a lot of times that character stuff and the injury stuff, it causes guys to drop down a lot more than, I mean, we talked about Tyree Kill when it relates to Henry Ruggs. Tyree Kill was a fifth round pick. And that's because he had character issues um, since he's been in the NFL. That has not been a problem. And, you know, there, you, for every Tyree kill, there's an I, 
As a, oh the, uh, yeah, there, there has been a, a bit of an issue, but nothing that's necessarily kept him off of the field. Because at the end of the day, that's what these NFL teams really want is a guy that's not you know they you know they obviously want high character guys, but at the same time, their number one priority is them playing. So if they and can the play, the latest they're fine. update on Tua Tagovailoa that I've been hearing is he scored a nine on the. Or a 19, actually, on the... <laughs> on the Wonderlick, right? Wonderlick on the What's really? on the Wonderlick test? Can someone explain to me what that is still? Because I'm it's still a, not completely sure what it is. Is it like a test test, or is it like a quarterback yes, it's a, test? It's a question test. You have 12 minutes to complete, and it's simple skills, but the average score is about a 20. You have guys like Brian Fitzpatrick scored a 47 on it, coming from Harvard, but average score is around a 20, and... T- it has some weight, but guys who do have lower scores don't tend to like. It doesn't have that big of an impact, but definitely for a quarterback, right? People look and see. So, like, what, what's on this test? When you say basic skills, is it like reading and writing, or is it like quarterback skills? Like, what coverage is this defense in? Or no, it's just basic math questions. Oh, like what? That. That's so dumb to me. I don't understand why that's. What's the point of that? That feels like a um. That feels quick like a poll tax. That that feels like the the literacy test, like almost like it, I I don't want to bring you know you know uh Motep Reagan out here, but like or Hotep Reagan out here, but like it, it feels like it feels like you know uh, just a way another reason for uh a, a team to just uh, discount a guy that they might perceive to be as you know possibly dumb, you know, and the, when the question should be, are they good at playing quarterback or not? You know what I mean? Like that this seems like something that's. You know that that seems so trivial to me to to have a reading and writing test for a guy who really only needs to understand the playbook, understand what routes are being run, understand the audibles, and understand you know what the defense is doing and know how to throw a football. Like that, that those things aren't related to reading and writing. Is oh, that's that's kind of silly to me. But Tua did do poorly on it, like you said. Do a scoreboard wonderlick test. See who scores Wonderlick. I do. I want to take the test. You probably do great. You might get drafted, honestly. <laughs> you might get drafted. Tonight. I'm like, bro, this guy got it. Uh, with that said, we're coming up on 27 minutes, y'all. I think that'll do it for this episode. Very fun episode. I love it. I love talking with y'all, man. That's a good one. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for this episode of The Scoreboard. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week with maybe some Corey Foreman news. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but we'll see you guys with any updates that we we ended up coming across. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you next week. This has been The Scoreboard, a podcast covering all things USC sports. Be sure to check out our Instagram and our Twitter to keep up with the latest and greatest at Ann Media Sports. That's A-N-N Media Sports.